Hello, everybody. Welcome to 321 No Kidding. Bobby the Awesome here with Mr. I'm going to call you Hugo V so I don't mess up your last name. Hi, Hugo. <laughs> Good afternoon. <laughs> it's nice to see you. I'm glad we're connecting. Um, Likewise. I, I guess we're going to just get you started. If if you'd like to kick off uh, with, with your story, a little about yourself, uh, and let my audience get to know you. Okay. Uh, I am a grateful, compulsive gambler and alcoholic. I started this journey of recovery back on May 24th, 1997. That's when I stopped drinking. And I, I, first, I went to a, my first 12-step meeting and I said I, I had to do something because that was a long weekend of drinking, gambling, uh, calling up a girlfriend, getting rejected. She didn't want to see me. So it was all this, all these negative feelings just piled up on top. I said, God, something's got to be better than this life right now. So I said, well, let me... And I was always more of a everyday gambler and I was more of a binge drinker. So I said, you know, alcohol would be easier to kind of, it's obviously more obvious. So I'm just going to just stop for a day, you know, a weekend. And so I went to my first meeting and I said, okay, well, let me explore it more. I didn't know, I didn't make any, and that's what I try to tell people. Don't make big promises. Like I'm never going to gamble again. I'm never going to drink or drug again. It's like, in the beginning, we're, we don't realize we need a detox. And my, you know, your brain is in a complete fog of whether it's the gamblers. And I just needed a day to just kind of like not do anything almost as like so. And then, you know, I started going to some meetings. And then after about a year and a half, and then I went into therapy, you know, grew up in a family that never talked about emotions. Mm-hmm. So I was totally clueless on what I was feeling. And then, of course, later on learning, you know, all addictions and emotional disease. And then a year and a half later after that, so that was April 13th, 2000s, when I stopped gambling. And then and then it was like about a month going back and forth to meetings. And then there's this, there's other, you know, longer other story. But by April, I was ready to work both programs, actually work in therapy and really try to start to attempt on this road of recovery. So it's interesting to me because my journey was the opposite. I quit gambling first and then drinking. So did you know, like, were you aware that you might've been struggling with both when you decided to quit? Is is that what you meant by it was like easier to quit? Yeah, I always knew that. And I'm sure you're probably similar. There was never a stop button. You know, once I started, it was go, 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 go. You know, I could still go to school. You know, I, I, I went to the University of Texas. You know, I, I changed majors. That's why it took me five years. I went from pharmacy to business accounting. But I could still do enough to get by. I mean, I obviously, I could have studied harder, got better grades. I could have been more involved in some other activities. But, you know, it was one of those things that I knew early on that, you know, I just wanted to stay out later at 6th Street at the clubs in Austin, or I wanted to go keep drinking. And there was, there was, I could never quite just have a few. Yeah. So you described that weekend of all that stuff that sounded maybe like a rock bottom moment. Is that a fair statement? Mm-hmm. So what prompted your quitting gambling on the day that you did? Did you have another experience like that? 
or some experience? Not, well, I was, well, so in, in actual March of 1999, I called up the hotline here in Houston, found out where the meetings were for, for gambling, the 12-step meeting, 12-step rooms for gambling. I hung up the phone. By then, I think there was only five or six. I said, okay, I know where they are. Okay, that's good. I want to keep gambling. Uh, so I knew a whole year prior that I needed to stop because I think once you start to learn a few things in other 12-step rooms and you start reading things in literature, you start going to therapy. Now, I, hey, I went to therapy for a year and a half just so I could pay someone just so I could lie to them. Because mm. he told, yeah, when I first walked in, I told him I had just stopped gambling. This was December of 98, which was a lie. But I was just trying to tell him, hey, I'm, I'm cool with my addictions. I just need to understand. And he didn't press me or I would try to avoid it. Kind of like, like shook and jive. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I knew for a while. I knew that whole year was almost preparing me. I was getting tired of lying. I was getting tired of the games. I was getting tired of the... I didn't realize it wasn't so much the money. I know we always, everyone looks at the money, but it's really, I always say what I stole the most or I lost the most was the, the amount of time. I didn't realize I was gambling 24 seven. You know how we compartmentalize saying I'm only gambling. You know, I was a sports better and a horse better. That's what I, that's what I would bet on. And I would think it's only during the games, but I was always consumed with looking at the lines, trying to figure out weather, all that injuries, all that stuff. Can you please, I'm so glad that you said that because in the 12 step meeting that I've been going to here, um, there's not, you know, a lot of crosstalk or, you know, conversation, right? It's a structured meeting and they were talking about lines. I don't understand what that term means. Can you explain what lines means to me? <laughs> Okay. Well, I think a lot of people would know lines if they're doing cocaine. Okay. I need to do a, a line of cocaine. Uh, lines in gambling and in sports means there's two teams. Let's say Houston's playing Dallas and Dallas is the home team. And so they're going to be expected to win. And so Vegas will throw out a, a, what they call the sports betting line. So it's the betting line and it'll say minus, they'll say minus four for Dallas. Because Dallas is expected to win, they have to win by more than four points for Dallas to win the bet. Okay. Houston gets four points. So if they lose only by three, you still win. Or if Houston wins, you win. And if it lands on four, that's what they call a push, which means nobody wins. That means it's just like a, it was almost like a non-bet. So that's the lines. And then, of course, now there's all kinds of like There's lines on the total amount of points in a game. They're, they're, and now, they're, now because all the major sports leagues have stamped their approval, there's all this what, the, what they're calling prop betting and also live betting. So unfortunately, people are going to get under a lot faster than they used to. Because there's that. So instead of a normal back when I used to play, there would have been only two, two gambling bets. The actual line in the game is what they would call it. And then the total amount of points, especially if we're talking about the NFL. Now there could be about 50 or 60 bets per game 
because they have like a specific player, are they going to throw for a hundred yards or is this player going to hit a home run today? Mm. Or they'll do a live betting. Okay. What's going to happen in the third inning or the second quarter. And you have to understand is, is the major sports leagues do not even know how a lot of stuff goes into our subconscious. And DraftKings and FanDuel are spending so much money. So if you turn on the TV, watch you watch the, the baseball playoffs or World Series behind home plate, you will see advertising for FanDuel or DraftKings. Same thing in the NFL. And that's slowly getting into your head. It's almost like you don't even realize. It's like when we're addicts, I always say the first thing we have to do when we want to stop and recover is, is we have to kind of change what we tell ourselves. I know what I used to tell myself is I can't believe I messed up again. I effed up again. I am a bad person. I'm a loser. I can't, and I can't do, I can't do this. I can't. And it was always these negative self-talk and we don't realize how powerful that is in our minds instead of just waking up each day saying hey you know what i deserve recovery today i deserve love today i deserve you know to have energy today and you know do say something positive to ourselves but they don't realize how advertising that's why you know there's always been that advertising for especially beer soft drinks and fast food. And then you wonder why, why so many people are drinking Budweiser, eating McDonald's and a Coca-Cola and then realize then their health is at danger because those things are not helping your overall physical health. I have so many questions, but I don't want to go too deep on the sports betting because I want to share a little more about um, some of your philosophies, because I'm really excited to have you on here as someone who has gone on the journey with both, right? Um, in New York, <clears throat> it's interesting because depending on where I live, the 12-step meetings have different dynamics. So in Kansas City, it was a lot more of riverboats. So that was what we talked about. New York had had Saratoga, so there was the horse betting. But in New York, 12-step, I'm trying to use the right language with you on here, um, there was a lot of crossover between the drinking 12-step there's a little bit of that here in Kentucky, but it, and it could be just the groups I'm going to, right? So I just find it very interesting. And people, well, you know, the statistics, I'll step it right there. So anybody who's an alcoholic, they don't realize is that they're 35 times more likely than to cross a dick into gambling or let's say even sex or porn. Because yeah. they already have that gene. They have the, they have the addict gene already in their brain since birth. And they don't even realize is, is there's a lot of work. So I even I interviewed a guy. He should probably come on yours. He talks a lot about trauma. He's a doctor in San Antonio, Dr. Rob Kelly. Uh, he was on my podcast talking about trauma and the alcoholic brain. And because of this push with gambling, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of alcoholics, drug addicts. They're going to cross the line and they don't even know it. I see we see it all the time, you know, just. I've been, I haven't had a drink in 20 years and I don't know how I, how this gambling thing snuck up on me and it just really, it really did a number on me and, and it, it's unfortunate and it's going to hit the younger population too, because they're going to get easy credit. They're going to go off to college, get easy credit and the gambling is going to, they, especially college males. 
That's the prediction this fall. And we're only in week two. Wait till mid-October and you start seeing a lot more calls. If we did a tracking right now, the amount of calls that go into treatment centers, hotlines, suicide lines, they're going to start spiking every week, which is so unfortunate and which is very sad. But there is a way out. Oh, so many questions. <clears throat> so you said, I, I would love some, you said the attic gene. So are you, and you referenced a doctor. So are you from the school of thinking that addiction is more um, like science versus environment? I'm just curious, like, is that how you feel about it? Or do you feel like both are a component? There is so, well, unfortunately, there are so many families that have the addictive gene in the family line. Now, what is unknown with genetics and what, what, what I believe is, is how it affects each family. You know, just like anything, you know, it's just like height or hair color, or eye color may skip a generation or one sibling may get these components more than others. There is, there's too much evidence to prove that there is a hereditary trait that's in your DNA. Now, environment, you know, I grew up in a family that drank. Uh, I played a lot of sports, and there's, a, there's so many other things that I almost almost had all the check boxes. I know a lot of gamblers here, and they were all part of a family business. That was me. They were all former athletes. That was me. Uh, they got that kind of almost that competitive streak going on. I think now it's changed a little because there's a lot more stuff on the mobile phone. So it's that has a different dynamic on brain chemistry. Uh, there was a guy who came down to Houston and we had a couple of guys were trying to find he came from Illinois when video poker started coming out in the early 2000s and talking about how video poker was actually going to spike because it was the easiest form of gambling because there was no learning curve. It was almost very hypnotic when you looked at the screen and you could kind of like pick it. And it was, and it was a fast play. You know, you didn't have to wait three hours like with a game or something to know whether you won or lost. And, and I, and I also, but I do think it, it goes into your brain. Cause it was, when I played it one time, I was waiting for someone in Vegas we were waiting for some people to come down to eat dinner. And I said, well, I'll go to the bar, have a drink. Okay, I'll play some video poker. I, I don't play poker, but I'm going to kill five minutes. I'm going to play five, $10. You know, that's what we always tell ourselves. Next thing you know, it's 20, 25, 40. I'm thinking, when are these idiots going to come down? And But yeah, to me, it, it almost like sucked you into the game. It's almost like Jumanji. You get like almost <laughs> into the game and now you're part of the game. And then the next thing you know, you keep losing money and go, I needed that money for my sports bets or my horses, not for video poker. That's so funny. Everybody always assumes, I don't know if this happened to you, but everybody would always assume that I was drinking when I was gambling. And for me, it was one or the other. And they'd be like, well, why? Well, I grew up in Connecticut and we got free drinks at the casinos. But I wouldn't drink because I didn't want to spend my tip money. Like I wanted to gamble my tip money and not give it to uh, the people. Right. So it, it's just, I don't know. It's just weird how our brains work. You you absolutely got that. Um, all right. So I want to go back. You said something very, very important. And I'd love to go a little deeper on this so that we can understand what happened for you. Because I think this is the missing piece. 
you were talking about the voices in our heads and somebody in one of my alcohol free groups today um, asked the question about self-awareness. And I was like, I didn't know what, what the words even meant until the last, you know, six to eight years on my journey. But you said you got to change the voices from the, you know, we suck kind of thing to the love ourselves. We deserve the best and all of that. I'm really curious about how that, that light bulb switched for you or like, what was that contributed to? How long, how long did it take? Can you kind of share a little about that experience with us? Well, I think it took a little over time. So, you know, like I said, you know, I've been on this journey 25, 22 years. And I think, you know, each year, you know, there's almost like, whether it's the medical field, the, the 12 step rooms, the therapeutic things are, you know, there's more experiments done on the brain and just realizing. And I think over the last 10, 15 years, especially I think after all these wars and there was these IUDs and all these head injuries, and there's been so much more research done on the brain and then how to almost retrain the brain. But it also goes back into addiction and I think it happened like one time in therapy where, I, you know, my therapist kind of told me, you have to stop saying that you are bad. You're a good person. You had, you had bad behavior or you can easily engage in bad behavior. And that had a kind of resounding effect on me. And I had to really think about it and realize, you know what, I am a good person because I, you know, I, I think most of us, whether you're addicts or not non-addicts, we all feel that we're there for our family. We're there for our friends. We, we do a good job. We don't quite understand how our emotions, because none of us really are trained, you know, in how to build up our emotional intelligence. But deep down, you know, we all, I think most people would say, you know, try, strive to do something better. And I think over time, and I think that's, you know, be reading more literature and seeing more things and, and then just seeing how I would react different. And I think finally started to come more of that self-love or self-acceptance and then also accepting others. You know, I think it was a slow process. It wasn't something like a light switch. It was slowly. Now I'm now I'm very aware of it. And I try to encourage people. One of the first things and we can talk about that. You know, that's why I came up with a you know, when, when I kind of like started this journey of kind of like rewriting the 12 steps. And that was just because I was at a retreat. I didn't do it because I was trying to do it. Okay. Do you want to share about that? Okay. So I was at a retreat. Uh, this was the spring. It was like May of 2019. It was here in Houston. We had these retreats every year. You know, it was for gambling. They had them for the other 12-step uh addictions as well. And so I opened up the retreat and the person who was supposed to close the retreat had a leave. And the person who was running the retreat said, Hey, uh, so-and-so had a leave. Do you mind just closing the retreat? So the whole retreat is within three days, we talk about all the 12 steps. You know, we say something about them, you know, and we, we share if you've done it, if you haven't, you kind of listen. And, you know, it's just a way to kind of be around recovery for three days. So that Saturday night, I went back to my room and I said, okay, let me see. I, I love the public, I love public speaking. I love to entertain. And I said, what can I do? I need to do something kind of different, you know, kind of something emphatic you know, so people can remember because a lot of people have that energy after a retreat for 
a week, a month, and then they, you know, they kind of almost get a little more complacent. So I sat down and it almost came to me like an epiphany, like God was helping me. And I rewrote the 12 steps in about 15 minutes, kind of going over it. So here's the thing. So like for me, and I was trying to make it short and sweet. So like step one, we believed a lie. Step two, we need help. Step three, we are no longer alone. And then kind of like, you know, like step nine, self-respect, all the way to step 12, faith, hope, love. And I did, and people kind of kind of liked it. And then later on that year, I was supposed to talk up in outside of DC in Virginia. And I was, and I had a separate talk. It wasn't about uh, addictions. But I wanted to have, I didn't have a book or anything. So I had a, an intern and I said, well, why don't we do a few videos for YouTube? So I just did this kind of like the same thing. I did an intro one first, like seven minutes, just like your first meeting, mm-hmm. you know, looking around and why am I here? Am I really, am I really this? <laughs> am I sunk to these levels, all that? And I'll share all that. And then I did one on the, the whole overview. And then after I did that, I just kept doing more and more videos, like on each step in the same way. And reality, main thing is, is I still read the step the way it's written, the way it was written way back when with Bill, Bill W or the way in 1957, the meeting in Los Angeles, you know, even though the, the, some of the words were changed. But I want to make people really understand what's behind it. And, and to really kind of grasp the steps. And that's why I said, so, you know, I have a website. It's called Life is Wonderful, all one word, dot love, L-O-V-E. And that hosts everything. You can go, there's over 46 free, everyone loves that word, free videos. Uh, I also have my podcast there that you can tap, social media. And that's like the hub of everything. And then you, from there, you can kind of branch out. And then you see what, I, then I try to, trying to get it back into the whole speaking business to speak at schools and treatment centers and at corporations. So you see how I'm also turning it into something for the, all the 12 step people in recovery, but also turning it also into a business. And then also with a course to help people recover in 90 days and say, look, you can, you don't have to do this in a year and a half. And I'll tell you, and I'll finish this with this. Bill W., Bill Wilson, when he wrote this, if people don't really realize the history of the 12 steps, he got the originals like six steps or he got six of the steps from this guy called Ebby Thatcher. He was part of this, what they call the Oxford group back in the kind of like late 20s, early 30s. And they had got all their stuff out of, pretty much out of the Bible. You know, there's confession, there's honesty, you know, to make amends. You know, you have to do all this prayer and meditation. And that's where that's those were the original kind of like steps. Now, he couldn't. The Oxford groups are very evangelical and they try to put too much of a religious spin on it. And that's why it kind of floundered. Now, people don't really realize the 12 steps. Every one of those steps has a biblical verse to it. Hmm. Uh, And I haven't posted it on mine, but I I know other people around that have other podcasts and other stuff and they kind of, but there's a way that people should kind of encourage the medical community, the 12 step community, any type of spiritual or religion of work more towards each other instead of more as silos. But here's the thing. So the original 12 steps to me is, is, is almost like an addict. They're very, 
we all come, I came in with very low self-esteem. I came in with a lot of depression and high anxiety. And I feel like so many people come in with low self-esteem. They don't know where. But then you start hearing words like, you are powerless. You need to surrender. You have character defects. It's your ego. And, you know, you just don't get it. You know how many times when people relapse, people say, why'd you do it? You know, it's almost like shaming a person or putting and and I said that doesn't work because if it worked, we'd have many more people recovering than they do. I just look at the numbers. I like to look at things from a statistical point of view. And if the numbers don't add up, of course, I used to gamble in the like the last two years. And I never I never put one single bet on a piece of paper because I like to just play games, you know. But I think statistically, then we have to realize now there's more movements about positive recovery. There's a treatment center here in Houston called Positive Recovery. There is because people realize that we need to build people up. We need to build people back up. But we also have to talk about the depression, the crimes, the, the stealing, the lying, the stories. We don't discount any of that. But it's much better it to feel like someone feels love and accepted. You know, that whole thing about acceptance is really the thing that we crave for probably the most, more than love in the very beginning. I don't think you have any idea how much I agree with you on this. And this is part of, this is part of why I don't put any one thing in a bucket. Like I, I don't preach just one method of recovery. Um, And like you're saying, you're, you're stressing the importance of language and, um, strategy. And I was never, and I actually believe this is part of my purpose and I could be all wrong, but, um, I struggled with religion my whole life. Like when I got baptized as a almost teenager, he didn't hold my nose and I had a really bad experience. And, and I was like, well, I'm never going back. Cause if you can't trust the guy dunking you, then I mean, it, it really, it was just not a good thing. So I had zero faith in general. And when I went to treatment, um, I met someone who had said to me, he wouldn't go back to church because he felt he didn't deserve to, which was really curious to me. So in the 11th step says, you know, to, to kind of search through prayer and all of that. So hence my adventure began. And I truly believe that I went on that adventure to go from atheist to spirituality in my own little way. So I can connect with people that way. But I think, you know, your mission and you doing the steps in, in your language or a simpler language is going to help connect people that might not connect to the other words. Um, so I love that. I love that you're, you're giving another option even to 12 steps and, and giving people, um, a different methodology as well as I'm, I'm also believing in the new stuff, like compulsive gambler. I still can't say it in my meetings anymore because when I went to outpatient therapists, we started off our, our introductions, we'd go around and we'd announce ourselves and we'd have to say two or three good things about us instead of I'm a compulsive gambler. So now I believe that if I say I'm a compulsive gambler, I'm reaffirming it. So I get lost in some of this stuff and the journey just keeps, it just keeps. Well, look at it this way. You know, you know how I started? I said, I am a grateful compulsive gambler, a grateful alcoholic, because without 
being a compulsive gambler and alcoholic, I never would have gone down this journey of 12 step rooms of therapy. So I would have never found myself. Right. I would have kind of existed like so millions of other people, whether in the U S around the world, that they're not quite as bad as the, you know, as you know, the number of us that, you know, took it all the way to, to a rock bottom, but they don't realize that they could probably be getting more out of life and don't realize, you know, they, they still, you know, almost like crave each weekend. Oh, I gotta, I can't wait for the weekend so I can get drunk or I can get high. I go, that shouldn't be your number one. If you do that, maybe, you know, a couple few times a year, cool. But if you're doing that every week, then it kind of shows that you're almost trying to escape, which we all know is kind of escape. And kind of like what you were saying, you, I under, kind of understood why I grew up Catholic, went to Catholic schools. And I always wondered why there were so many Catholics in almost every 12 step room. And it finally dawned on me, you know, I'm in one of the church, you know, I, I, you know, I, I go back to a mass every now and then, but I don't go every week. But in Catholics, you know, they're the ones who actually believe that the hosts and the, and the wine actually turns into the actual body of Jesus and the blood. And they ring the bells. But the priest, right before he does all that, he says, I'm not worthy. And I kept and I talked to other Catholics and going, do you wonder if that messed us up? Because I kept hearing that every week. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to receive. The whole thing is I'm not worthy to receive you. And then I start wondering how I would kind of just simplify it. And I would say that I think in always, like I said, our subconscious is working all the time. And I think I was hearing that word over and over. Hugo is not worthy. Hugo is not worthy. Hugo is not worthy. And I don't think, and it wasn't done in a, in a way to lower my self-esteem or my ambition or confidence, but it does have a number. I mean, we ha you have to at least look at the fact is, is then probably out of most religions, they have the most addicts. You got to at least ask the question. I'm always the thing because, and to me, it's like, why? And people would say, well, you can't rewrite the steps. I go, why can't you? Oh, no. Like, there's like somehow, like, they're like the Ten Commandments with Moses, and somehow they were written. And oh, it's blasphemy. I go, well, if people are going back out and relapsing after one week or 10 years, then we should relook at it. It's not a perfect system, even though there's so much beauty in it. Hey, that's how I recovered. But it doesn't mean that everybody has, like you said, people don't don't hear it the same way or they may not have the same sponsors. They might not be going to the same home group. And they get the, 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 and those messages may be messed up or changed and confused, but more so probably confusing. Well, and I think times are changing to your point when you were talking about DraftKings and the other one, everything's on a phone, right? So there's a new age coming up and what they connect with isn't the same as what I connected with or the generations before. So to walk in a room of strangers and, and put your stuff out there when you're not even used to regular conversation I could see that being really challenging for the younger folks and for the, you know, the, the betters online, even like candy crush people, you know, like it's just changing. Everything's happening so quick. Right. Well, the phones have the three things. So yeah, the, those are three different addictions that are going to spike. 
porn, video games, and gambling, because you can do all three of those on your phone. I mean, there is a, there's a, there's been a new, a statistic here lately that there's more males in their twenties with ED because they've been watching porn or much more hardcore porn at an earlier age where their brains were not ready for all this imagery. And now they can't get into a normal relationship. And when they get into a relationship, they thinking that it's gotta be all kinds of weird stuff. And, and the same thing with video games, you know, video, you can be playing and people are going, well, at least they're not drinking or drugging. I go, but you're not connecting with the human race. You are totally isolated in some fantasy world and you have no ability to have an intimate relationship. And the same thing with then gambling, of course, now with the sports and the casino gambling on your phone. Yeah, those three addictions. Uh, but the phone always... itself is an addiction, right? Oh, like correct, correct. Social media, you know, thinking about it, text, all of it. It's it's, it's so but think about it this way. So let's say you you get some negative information. You know, like one of the 20 questions is is you know, do arguments, disappointments, frustration cause with you an urge to gamble? Well, let's say someone says or bullies you online. Then you're going to go to your phone and, okay, well, the one way to escape is through, let's say, video game or gambling. And that's what's so dangerous about combining social media with your phones and with gambling. That, And that's how people don't even realize how they're going to fall into the gambling addiction. And it's because of a lot of that, they don't know how to process all those negative feelings and just stay with the rejection or the depression or whatever other feeling you're feeling. You make so such great points. And I love the business flair to it with the statistics. So thank you for bringing that to the table. So tell me about if I signed up for your course, um, what does that journey look like? Is it you're breaking down the steps and kind of explaining it to them through this lens of, of what you've discovered through time? Like, what would that look like for someone who wanted to take your course? Right. So it comes through a lot of experience. Like I said, 25 years in a lot of those, in a lot of the meetings, uh, you know, with, with, uh, without alcohol and then 22, you know, years with all the ones, all the 12 step meetings, people dealing with gambling seven years of therapy. And then later on, actually, then even with a girlfriend did couples therapy. So understanding the psychological, the emotional, as well as the recovery aspects. And then also knowing how an addict, if you ever been, if you ever done any of the literature that comes from Los Angeles, they'll have like all the 12 steps. And then, you know, on the front sheet, they'll have all the written the written step and on the back, they'll have like about 10 questions, 10 or 12 broken down to different segments. And most of the people at retreats always do the, Oh God. Oh, you know, that's a lot of, you know, and if someone says you got it. So knowing how in the beginning, someone's not going to be so eager to do emotional work because emotional work is very exhausting. Every step has three questions. So we believe the lie has three questions. Step two, we need help, has three questions. So there's 36 questions throughout the whole course. And you get it in one week, you do, this is how you can do it in 90 days. And you can change any, this isn't, this isn't Hugo's 
uh, statement. You can change any habit. Some people say in 21 days, that's not really true. To really be forthcoming, if you really do the work, if you do something for 90 days, it really starts to be ingrained into your brain, into your almost like physical discipline, and, and you really kind of work it. So you get a step a week. Now, 90 days is really 13 weeks. So there's an extra week between step three and four just to kind of get things going, just so you can spread it out for 90 days. And I'll tell you, so, and I'll give you the first two questions so you have an idea how it is. So question one is, is when people walk into a meeting and they say, you just have to realize your life's unmanageable and that you're powerless over gambling or whatever your addiction is. Well, most people are going to take a step back and, you know, there's like, no, I'm not this bad. You know, no, 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 no. You know, there's always a, there's always some type of rebuttal. But why don't we approach step one to me is, is you should, if you really want someone to do all this work, they should, they need to be working towards something, not trying to eliminate something. So I have this thing that I had gotten uh, years ago in the mid nineties when I did a lot of public speaking. I did this, they got this whole thing about how to set goals and, you know, break down goals. So question one is, is what do you really want out of your life? And it's broken down into six different segments. You know, you break down, what are your family goals? What are your financial goals? What are your spiritual goals, your social goals, your educational goals? You know, those are the, uh, what is it? So it was family. Oh, and, and spiritual. Yeah. So family, spiritual, financial, social, educational. And, and those are the way to, to move forward. So if you write down all your goals in all those different categories, now they can still change, but you're going to be a lot more excited about changing your bad behavior. If you're working towards the life that you want. What type of people do you want? What type of business or career do you want? Where do you want to live? You know, all that type of stuff. And then question two, we already touched on it, is, is you've got to start working on your subconscious early on. You cannot wait till later on. you got to start now because that's why people relapse. Because they don't think that they can handle. They already start to get overwhelmed with the 12 steps or oh, why do I have to go to meetings? Why do I have to do this? I say, well, why don't you first be, be kind to yourself? Just say, hey, I deserve love. I deserve recovery. I deserve to not spend my paycheck on gambling, spend my paycheck on other stuff. Even if it's just paying back debt, at least it's much more productive than gambling your paycheck. You know, that, those are the things that we need to tell ourselves over and over again or put or say like a goal. You know what? I want to. I want to travel to Japan this year. I want to go to Jamaica. You know, I deserve to travel or I deserve, you know, to go to this new restaurant. It could be a small thing. Like some people hadn't started exercising. Hey, I deserve to run three miles without stopping. Okay, yeah. great. That, that's a great goal to have. And if you say that, if you say that, if you wake up every morning and go, you know what, I'm going to run these three miles this week. And then, you know, that first day you only, you, you maybe run a mile and you walk two. the next time you run two, you walk one, but then you do it. But if you take yourself, it's so powerful. If you look at anybody who talks about improving, people like to talk about, oh, you got to just improve your mindset, but it's got to be lower than that. You got to talk about your emotions and you got to talk about your subconscious, but that's how the whole course is. And that's how I, and that's how I can get you. If you really are struggling with the 12 steps, 
that's how I can get you to recover. Even if you've had a, I had someone who had like over four years and they were still on step six. And then he says, yeah, I'm kind of getting tired of moving slow. I go, well, you don't have to, you don't, I don't know why people have this badge of honor saying it took me four years to work the steps. Man, I've wasted enough time in my addiction. I don't need to waste so much more time in, you know, trying to recover little by little, man, we can, we should start living now. I agree with you. I agree with you hundred percent. That's a great perspective. I never thought of it that way. I, I guess it's the, I don't want to use the word brainwashing, but the repetitiveness of you never done work in the steps. You're right. There is like these philosophies, I guess. That but I would like up. to reframe that. I, when people say you're never done and I get it. I mean, I understand the concept, but the whole thing, like I said before, you can say I'm a compulsive gambler, but I'm a grateful compulsive gambler. So that puts a positive spin that the, that the gambling helped me find myself. It wasn't that it just took me down this road. And the same thing is instead of saying that you're you're always working the steps, why don't you just say something like, I I get the I get the privilege to live in the steps every day. That means I get to work the steps every day because I get to live it. Just like people really talk about it in almost like, you know, if they're very religious, they say they say things that you know when some people go, oh, that sounds, you know, that's kind of like takes people off. And people sometimes don't understand what, what, what it means to live the steps. But all, all you have to do is almost change one word in so many, in, in anything. It could be your job. It could be your relationship. It even could be like with your pets. Little things you say can have a drastic, almost a, at least a 90, maybe, a, maybe even a 180, almost on the interpretation of that statement. So yeah, just say say something like, you know, I, I get to live, I get to live the steps. And that means that means I get to live my life. I love it. All right, Hugo. Is there anything I feel like I could talk to you for days? Um, because we have so we many similarities. Part, we always do the- a part two sometime later in the year. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Um, is there anything you wanna say before we wrap it up? Uh, like I say, is is Look at recovery as a gift. See the steps, see therapy, see your sponsor as these are almost like angels that we didn't even know had. You know, in the beginning, you know, we look, I was no different. I would fight, I would struggle, I would complain at home. I think, uh, you know, and realize is that there are so many people here willing to help. And that's the main thing. We don't have to go through recovery by ourselves. And that's why I think step two, instead of saying came to believe, which is important, we need to come to believe in some type of spiritual being. I do believe that there's something greater than ourselves. But I think bigger than that is is that realizes that we're no longer alone. There's a lot of human help out there. And there's a lot of people in this program on a podcast. Somebody's written a book. There's someone out there that's always willing to lend a hand and just look at the beauty and realize you don't have to do this alone. And if you're doing it alone, that's probably why you don't feel almost like that extra joy that you should have. And if you want more, I got more stuff coming out, but yeah, just go to lifeiswonderful.love. I always got new podcasts. I got new videos or I got new products, whether it's other courses, I'm coming out with a children's book later in the year. 
Oh, congratulations. Um, because I said, why should we wait till someone actually gets into addiction to help them with recovery? Shouldn't we start teaching? The one thing we don't teach kids is emotional. We don't teach kids two things, financial literacy and emotional intelligence. But there's already people talking about doing more financial literacy in middle schools in certain states. But I've yet to hear a governor or attorney general or someone really pushing on how to do emotional intelligence or they're signing bills about allotting more money for mental health. But I don't know how that's going to be sent out to the public. So I said, well, I'm going to I'm going to do what what I want to do. Uh, yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm the same way. Like, what can I do in my control? Because. I'll never be a politician. I don't understand anything about it. And I feel like it takes too long. So um, I'm with you because I think there needs to be more funds allocated to treatment. It's not fair across the states. Like right. uh, it's anyway, I won't go down that rabbit hole, but yes, Hugo, I, I would be up for a, a part two down the road. That would be great. Um, and I'd love to talk about the children's book down the road. So thank you very much for being here. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it, too. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it was great. Thank you.